Hello, everybody, and we've made it to the end of the regular season, and this is where real football begins. We're into the playoffs. You're here again listening to the Playsheet podcast, and as always, is my friend Joe with me. Hey there, guys. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today. We are going to spend the majority of our time actually talking about the upcoming playoff matches and what we think the matchup's going to look like for those two teams. And instead, we're just going to touch briefly last week on some of the key topics that are worth mentioning. And I think, Joe, the big thing that's worth talking about from last week or the beginning of this week are a lot of the firings. Black Monday. Black Monday, indeed, yeah. Victims were had. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I think the one that got away from me, Jeremy Lin, I thought he could last one more season, but it wasn't to be. Dead man walking. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Right call, wrong call? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say overall, I think it's the right call. I think that Anthony Lin would have been very, very fortunate had he kept a job. He lucked out really with how Herbert came in because... You talked to everyone at the start of the season and everyone was up on Burrow. They weren't down on Herbert, but they just didn't think that Herbert was a NFL-ready quarterback. He's come in, and if you were to redraft the 2020 draft, I think probably most pundits now would probably have Herbert as a number one pick. So they lucked out there. And, you know, had Herbert not had been as ready as he was, how badly would they have done? They were probably then a two-win team. His choices and decisions in a number of games directly lost probably probably two or three games. You see, that's the bit I can't argue with. I felt that he was starting to pull the team together a bit and they were actually starting to perform towards the end of the season. But there's no question about it. His calls were directly responsible for a number of losses this season. He has had ample time to get a winning team together. So I can completely understand the firing. I suppose there's just a little bit of me that thought, just as he was starting to get a string of good games together, a string of good performances, you're going to disrupt that group again by bringing in a new head coach. I'm not saying it's the wrong decision at all, but it was one that I felt was probably closest to being a 50-50 than the other two in Adam Gase and Doug Marone, who were, yeah, absolutely have to walk. And now, you know, whatever coach comes in there, a lot of pundits are saying that it's the best job to go and take, which is out there. There's six jobs out there. I'd still probably say that if that if I was a top-notch coach, I'd probably want the Jags job a little bit more. But look, you've got the Chargers, brand new stadium. They've got about 30 million of cap space. There's things you can do there. They've got to work on a few contracts in the off-season, so there's that to kind of think about there. But it's a good job for a good coach, and so it'd be interesting who they pick up. Already a few rumours flying around. But at the minute, I think with it being so soon, Black Monday was only yesterday at the time of recording, I don't believe they've invited anyone in to talk just yet, whereas quite a few of the other teams have. So some other teams have got to jump on them a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. What's your view, Chaz, on the uh, most enticing job? If you were a top-notch head coach, I don't know, you've just won a college championship or you're a retired coach and people are trying to lure out of retirement, which team would you want to go to? I mean, definitely not the Jets. That feels cursed to me. So it would be between the Jags and the Chargers. I think the nice thing about the Chargers is there doesn't seem to be any big personalities there, no prima donnas. So you have an opportunity to come in there. You've got a young quarterback. There's a chance to start from scratch together. I'd probably go for Chargers over Jags, but yeah. I disagree with you slightly on the Jets there because the Jets is just such a blank canvas. Now, don't get me wrong, the team is garbage. That's the difficulty. 
the team is trash, but you've got 72 million of cap space. The second pick in the draft, you've got Seattle's first round pick. You've got, I think, two second round picks and two third round picks, something like that. You've got a lot of picks there. So much kind of draft capital. You can really make that team your own. And whichever coach comes in is going to have the most freedom at the Jets and Jags. There's just so much there to do. I think the Chargers, the only thing with the Chargers is because you've got Herbert, it's quite a common thing for rookie quarterbacks to take a backward step in their second year. Just look at all the quarterbacks we've had over the past kind of few years that have done that. I mean, it would be tricky for him to continue to perform at the level he's performed this season because he's been so good. He's been so good. Yeah, like, I mean, like, you know, look at Mayfield. Mayfield came in, rookie season, was getting quite a few plaudits. Sophomore season was a bit of a car crash. Darnold took a backward step in the second season, with the exception, really, of, you know, guys like Mahomes, who actually had his breakout in his second season. And probably Watson, although Watson, I think, statistically was worse in his second season. I mean, Josh Allen is another name you've got to throw in that mix. Yeah, but he didn't have a great second season, did he? No, he didn't. It's this season no. where he stepped up. It's, yeah. it's his third season where he stepped up. So all of these guys, really, it's that second season where quarterbacks often struggle. There's expectations at the Chargers. And if Herbert does have that natural step back, and then suddenly you start having problems retaining some of the talent that you need to retain, because like I said, there's 30 million cap space there, but there are players who they need to re-sign. You've got a little bit less kind of freedom there. You can't bring in your own quarterback. You've got to work with Herbert and you've got to work around Herbert's strengths. Whereas Jags and Jets, there's just more freedom. Yeah, there is. Obviously, with the Jets, you have to contend with the Bills and the Dolphins are rising in the ranks now. But you do, for the first time in a long time, not have to contend with the mighty Patriots in the form that they once were. Who knows what will happen this offseason, but it may be your best opportunity to go in there and not always lose to the Patriots. Yeah, and with Chargers, you've got 10 years of Mahomes there. So, last question is, which job would you not want to take of those six? Of those six? Yeah, of the six. Jets, Jags, Falcons, Lions, Chargers and Texans. Oh, of course, because they've got standing managers. They've got interims, yeah. I wouldn't want the Texans job at all. I think they've made way too many bad trades, given away a lot of their capital. I think rebuilding in that team is going to be very difficult. You've got a fantastic quarterback in Watson and you've got some great defensive players there in Watt. But I think it's going to be a long process to rebuild that team to be competitive. Well, I 100% agree with you, but I will say that they probably don't have what next season. The Texans right now are 14 million over the cap. What has no guaranteed money left? And like you say, the Texans have got no first round pick. They've got to cut plays to get under the cap. It's going to take years for that team to rebuild. Yeah. And I, I would not be surprised if they maybe stick with Cronell because I think it's going to be hard to entice someone to come into that role. Yeah. Right, should we move on to some of the other talking points of last week? Let's move on. What do you want to talk about, Charles? Let's talk about Green Bay. You know I always want to talk about Green Bay, Joe. I know you do. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it was our first game without back Tiari. I was nervous, to be honest, especially going up against the Bears, who have quite a good defensive unit. But Green Bay seemed to hold their own, and, and that's... I don't know whether that's lulled me into a false sense of security or given me hope, but... I would have said going into the season, Rodgers is probably the last guy you want injured. Then it's Devante Adams. And then I would say it's probably Bakhtiari or Jones. Yeah, but 
people were talking about this in like Fear and the Unknown, but it wasn't an unknown. Green Bay were without Bakhtiari week seven, eight, and nine. They were, yeah. This was the fourth game without him. Week seven, they gave up zero sacks. And weeks eight and nine, they only gave up one sack in each of those games. Green Bay do have one of the deepest O-lines, yeah. Depth charts for that line. And what it's built upon really is players who are very versatile. They can switch players around in the line who can play in multiple places. So with Bakhtiari being out and like what he did last time, they moved Billy Turner from right tackle to left tackle and then brought Rick Wagner in at right tackle. And that just works. And those guys can just fall into those places naturally. As long as they have those players, they have those flexible players and they have that depth. Yeah, sure, you want your man Bakhtiari on the field. Like he's a safety blanket for Rodgers and psychologically Rodgers needs him around. But they're not a bad O-line without him. Any team is going to miss a player of Bakhtiari's standards, but I think yeah. that Green Bay are set up better than other teams to miss a player like that. Yeah, agreed. So then I think really the only other thing to mention before we move on to looking at the playoff games is just what a shame it was for that Cardinals-Rams game to have two backup quarterbacks playing for pretty much the majority of the game. Yeah, yeah. We kind of spoke last week and mentioned that we were looking forward to that one. Neither quarterback was very impressive at all, really. John Wolford, zero touchdowns and interception. At least he managed to move the ball 243 yards, whereas Chris Streveler could only muster up 105 yards, one touchdown, one interception. They were graded pretty badly. The game became very unexciting very quickly. I can't really recall yeah. any standout moments. It should have been really a marquee game for basically a playoff spot, but it didn't come to pass. These things happen. What can you do? Well, let's not look back. Let's look forward, Joe. And shall we talk about our first game, Ravens at the Titans, which I think is going to be a pretty big one. Yeah. So straight off first, the bookies at the minute have the Ravens three and a half point favourites. I'm just going to go out there before we even talk about it, just set the scene. I probably go with the bookies on this one. And I think the Ravens, what's more, will probably beat the spread and probably win this one by six, seven points. Okay. I'm not sure about the spread. I've also got the Ravens to win this one, but I think what certainly helped that decision was the Titans matchup against the Texans last week. To have the Texans nearly take you to overtime is not the confidence boost that you need going into the playoffs, is it? It's not just that about the Texans, mate. It's the last two games. How many points do you think the Titans have given up in the last two games? Well... I would, I'd say all season, but if we're talking about last two games, I would guess somewhere in the region of 58 points, something like that. Put 20 on that. 78 points wow. in the last two games. It's what they've given up. Now, admittedly, one of those teams is Green Bay, but the other was Houston, so it averages out. So 78 points in two games, 39 points a game the last two games. They are ranked 28th in the league in terms of passing yards given up. 275 a game. The only teams that have given up more passing yards are the Lions, Atlanta, and the Seahawks. And we've talked about how badly those teams defend against the pass many times. So we don't have to go into that again. But after those three abysmal teams, you've got the Titans. In terms of touchdowns they have given up, they are the 31st team. There's only one team who's given up more touchdowns in the league and that's the Lions. Their defense against the run isn't that much better either. They're ranked 19th in yards and 22nd in TDs. They famously don't have a pass rush. But their defense in general is bad. This Ravens team... I think they're just going to have too much. I think that the Titans are a team who aren't built to chase games. We've seen this plenty of times this season. When they go in front, they have to stay in front. 
they can't chase the teams down. It's hard to do that when your game is based around a run. Both these teams are the same. Like I say, both, both these teams are built to lead. But I think that the Ravens will get in front and I think they'll stay in front. And that's how I see this game going. I think the other encouraging thing is, of course, it was against the Bengals. But we did see the Ravens last week actually get back to the passing game a little bit more. And as you've pointed out, the Titans are not great at at protecting that. So if they can have the same success that they had against the Bengals in that area, they're going to become a lot more versatile as a team, which is something that we've been criticising the Ravens on over the last few games because they've looked very one-dimensional. If they can't rush, they've struggled. If they're starting to refine that, even if it's only against worse defensive teams like the Bengals and arguably like the Titans, then yeah, this should be a game that that they see off. And although the Ravens' defence arguably isn't what it was last season, it's still a very good defence. The thing with this game is, if you were game planning, you'd probably want Jackson to hold on to the ball for as long as possible because there's not going to be a pass rush on him and things will open up. Things will open up when you've got receivers down the field like Brown, like Duvernay. Those guys will eventually, they'll either skin someone or get well open at some point. Even if they don't, at some point, there's going to be no pressure on Jackson. He'll be able to get out of the pocket and he'll be able to make gains with his feet if he needs to. I just don't see the Titans being able to stop this Ravens offense. Ravens are coming into this game having won five straight. Titans have only won three of the last two and those wins were against Detroit, Houston and Jags, I believe. So they're not exactly coming into this game having beat teams of playoff caliber. Yeah. So score-wise, what do you think the differential is going to be? Where do you have it? I see Ravens pulling ahead, maybe Titans, you know, getting a bit of garbage time to make it close. But I would say Ravens by 10. Okay, yeah, I think it's going to be around that. I'm still just a bit nervous of what Henry can do. And so for that reason, I've I've sort of bumped the numbers down a little bit. But I think Ravens by six. So there are thereabouts. I just think that once the Ravens go in front, you need to start to air the ball out. And I think that Tannehill just won't have enough time. We spoke about how he needs a pocket. I think that the Ravens will just put too much pressure on Tannehill. He'll throw interceptions. He'll make mistakes. That's the thing. Against this Ravens team, if he is forced to air it out, he will get intercepted. There's no doubt about it. As well, it's the incompletions because he gets flustered and has to throw the ball away. It's all of those kind of things. So I see this one going to the Ravens. Cool. So then let's talk about the Browns at the Steelers. And there's the recent news about uh, a few members of the Browns team contracting COVID. So Stefanski's out. They're going to have to have a new head coach for the game. Uh, I think they've got another coach out as well and two players potentially. There's, I think, four or five members of the Browns team have COVID now. Do you think that's going to have a big impact in terms of their matchup against the Steelers? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I genuinely feel sorry for Stefanski. Your first uh, season as head coach, you've worked really hard all season. You've put yourself in the frame really for coach of the year. I've said this previously, but I still believe it. And then this happens. I feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for his coaching staff. It's not clear yet who the two players who've got COVID are. But assuming the two players who have COVID aren't Baker Mayfield or Nick Chubb, I'm going to go against the bookies here. The bookies have Steelers as 4.5 point favourites. I'm going Browns. I'm going Browns for this game, despite the issues with COVID and coaching. I made my predictions ahead of this news. I had the Steelers. Now I definitely think I have the Steelers. It's a tough one. I think that 
the Steelers have matched up quite well against the Browns so far this season. I know that they lost this week, but it was without Big Ben. I don't know. It's it's going to be a tough one because as we've said time and time again, the Steelers don't have a run game. It's hard to get the passing game going if you can't rely on that run game. But I just, I, I suppose I'm banking on the playoffs and Ben having rested a week, maybe just energizing them to become the team that they once were earlier in the season. I just think that once it comes to playoff football, you need to be a more complete team. And you can't get away with just airing the ball out and relying just purely on your quarterback. Now, you know, they've got a good D, which isn't as good as it was, but they've got a good D. And they've got, you know, Ben, when he's on form, is a great quarterback. But if you've not got a run game, then you just become too predictable. And savvy coaches can coach for that. I think the Browns generally are, right now, a more rounded team than the Steelers are. They might not be quite as good in defense, Mayfield might not be quite as good as Roethlisberger, but when you add up the sum of all the parts, the Browns are a better team. The Steelers didn't lose last week because of Rudolph. Rudolph played pretty well. He threw over 300 yards. He had two touchdowns. His passer rating was about 90. Not brilliant, but Rudolph wasn't bad. The Browns did what they had to go and do there, and they pulled a win out. I've got a question for you. Yeah. What is the protocol so a new coach is going to come in they're going to assume the head coach role and they're going to be making plays does Stefanski have the ability using technology to help call those plays can he be sat at home and be calling things in or sat in the stadium somewhere and calling things in or is it just an absolute zero contact situation first of all he won't be able to sit in the stadium that is for sure he can't sit in the stands and kind of talk down He's got to be off the facility. Now, he will be in contact with his coaches all through the week. But this is where understanding of what happens in the game week is important to understand what will kind of go on here. Basically, Monday before this news kind of came out, they'd have been watching tape. That was a tape day. So they would have been watching tape of the last game, which is perfect preparation for this game, but they've just been watching tape. What went well? What didn't go well? Monday is tape day. Tuesday is when you start to cut down the playbook. So what they'd be doing kind of right now is, you know, your playbook will have 120, 150 plays in. They need to get that down to about 30 plays, 35 plays for Thursday. And the plays that they'll do, so they'll have, you know, five plays for first and 10, five plays for second down between three and seven yards. And they'll break it down into those categories. So, you know, from this huge playbook, they'll just be working out right now what their 35 plays are. And when you break it down to that, when you end up with 35 plays, then actually on the field, come game time, you've got certain plays for certain situations. And whoever's calling the plays, it's not like they're calling from a huge list. And if Stefanski mm. was there and calling plays, like he'd been, but like there's 60 plays that he's got and he's going to think, yeah, I'll call play number 57. It's not like that. It's more like in this situation, everyone on the team knows that there's actually five or six things that they might do. And in this situation, they're going to go with this one. And the quarterback has influence on that as well. So more than kind of coaching and more than Stefanski, what this will put pressure on and really test the metal of will be Mayfield. Because Mayfield will be making more decisions now. Mayfield will be reading the situation more. And what Mayfield wants and what Mayfield is doing will probably be coming through a lot more. So it's going to call on all the experience of Mayfield. I think that from what you're saying about whether he'll, he'll call it in, I think for the reasons I've just said there, I don't think you really need to. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the work is actually done in the week leading up to the game. 99% of the work is done. 
And because of how that work is, because of how it limits down the playbook, because of how it's it's the game plan, you're working off the game plan, it's actually a lot more limited than some people maybe realize. Interesting. That's worth knowing. One last thing I want to mention on this game, just in terms of players. Joshua Dobbs, did you see much of him last week? No, I didn't. Joshua Dobbs, who I guess is the third string quarterback after Rudolph, came in. The guy probably is more effective on the ground than Benny Snell and James Conner are combined. (laughs) Seriously. Not difficult. Well, no, it's probably not. But it would be interesting to see if if the Steelers don't kind of maybe call up some Taysom Hill-like kind of packages and bring them in the game a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if maybe we see some Wildcats with Joshua Dobbs in. Let's see what happens. But um, he certainly looked more of a ground threat than any of the Steelers running backs. Cool. So score-wise, where do you have it? Oh. I think this is going to be such a good game. Like the AFC matchups are brilliant. Wildcard weekend. I'm putting Browns Browns by a point. <laughs> I'm going Steelers by 10. And this probably isn't very logical at all. But there's something in me that just thinks player football hopefully will spur Steelers to be the team that they were at the beginning of the season. And if they are, I think that Steelers team beats the Browns by 10. All I'd say to that is, Charles, I think they have been the same team all season. I think it's just about uh, about 10 games in, other teams thought, well, we don't even need to bother defending the run against these guys. Uh, very good point. Very, very good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. But look, in most of these games, with the exception of maybe one or two, I wouldn't be surprised if either team won it. So I'm not going to be shocked choking in my cup of tea if the Steelers win, but I just think the Browns are more rounded. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's move on through then to Colts at Buffalo. Yeah, and another great matchup. A great matchup. Two good teams here. Where have you got this one, Charles? I've been hitting my Prudos first. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I think it's quite funny that we've gone Ravens, Titans, Browns, Steelers, Colts, Buffalo. We've gone, oh, good matchup, good matchup. I don't think we're going to be saying quite the same when we get through to the NFC. That's what I'm saying. The AFC is super tasty this year, and it's probably the best wildcard weekend for the AFC I can think of for a long time. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, we're not going to be saying that as much for the NFC games. There's probably one tasty game there. Yeah. So this one, going into this season, we were both quite high on the Colts, and they've played well. Look, here they are. They're in the playoffs. 11-5. and Yeah, exactly. They have had a good season. And Buffalo, I actually kept waiting for Allen to drop the ball time and time again. I was like, there's no way he can suddenly be this accurate after being so wildly inaccurate last season. But apart from a handful of games which have been scattered throughout the season, it just hasn't happened. And for that reason, I'm back in Buffalo on this. I think that they have the chops to go out there and... This Colts defense is strong and it's going to be a challenge, but I think Buffalo are the team that can take it on. I'm exactly the same. Like like we said, we both said all through the year, Allen is just one game away from having a catastrophe. It will come at some point. He'll forget how to throw again, but he hasn't. And just look at this Buffalo team last week. They put up 56 points against the Dolphins. Who have been defensively strong. Who have been good. And it wasn't like the Dolphins had second string players out there. The Dolphins were trying to win that game to make playoffs. That game meant everything to the Dolphins. It meant a lot less to Buffalo than it did the Dolphins. And the Dolphins got ruined by the Bills. They are a pretty complete team. You listen to pundits this week and they're saying about how Buffalo struggle against power backs. I don't really buy that story. There's only been three backs this whole season who put more than 100 yards up against them. Damien Harris, 
Edward Siller, and Kenyon Drake. None of those guys are big backs. I think the heaviest guy there is actually Edwards Hilaire at 208 pounds. So this whole kind of, you know, front side power runners, I don't really buy that story. Yes, they're probably better in the secondary than they are in the front seven, but their front seven is still more than capable. They're above average. I think that this Buffalo team is extremely complete. And I know we're only talking about wildcard weekend games here, but I think this Buffalo team is going all the way to the AFC Championship game at the very least. They are playing very well. We both said that the Colts were a good team coming into this season. I still stand by this, 11-5. But look, a couple of things to think about here. The Colts are 2-4 and four against teams with a record greater than 500. They struggled against the Jags last week. They have given up over 300 air yards in each of their last five games. These are all things which, you know, if you're just looking at what's in front of you, uh, Buffalo are trending up, the Colts have been trending downwards a little bit. Now, the only thing that takes a shine off this Buffalo team for me is that Cole Beasley is probably going to be out. Now, had you said this to me over a week ago, I'd be saying, well, that's huge. But then look at what Isaiah McKenzie did last week against the Dolphins. He came in in the slot, 65 yards, six receptions, two touchdowns. I mean, he was very, very solid. So Beasley is a loss. But I think there's depth there in that Buffalo team. And not that he's going to be an immediate impact player, but don't forget they've also picked up Kenny Stills to join their practice squad. He's insurance. He's not He's not the guy that's coming on because he doesn't know their playbook. But if it gets further along and they lose some... We were saying wide receiver was the area which they had the least depth. They've made moves to try and shore that up a little bit moving into the postseason, which I think is a smart move. I don't think Stills will see any game time because I think that Beasley is... I don't is, expect him to, but if if injuries occur, he's there. I think that Beasley will probably be back next week. He's day-to-day now. I'm assuming that he's not playing on Sunday. It might change. But assuming that Beasley's out, you've got McKenzie there, you've got Gabriel Davis, you've obviously got Diggs. You've got four wide receivers who are playing very well. This is good. Yeah. Very good Buffalo team. And look, one other thing, one final factor. The Colts play in Lucas Oil Stadium, which has a nice roof on it. They'll be going to the frozen wastes of upstate New York. I think the weather forecast at the minute is a degree above freezing. <laughs> There'll be a bit of wind chill factor to add on to that. It's going to suit Buffalo. Yeah, look, Buffalo all the way for me. And I'm going to go Buffalo by 14. Okay, that's quite a bit. Yeah, um, four. I've got Buffalo by 10. I can't go higher than that. I think the Colts are defensively good. But yeah, it's going to be a good matchup for sure. Okay, now we are on the slightly less exciting but no less interesting NFC games. The first one to talk about this week is the Buccaneers against Washington. So the bookies have this, Bucks minus eight. Yeah, and Young's caught some heat, hasn't he, in, <laughs> as he ran off the field against Philadelphia yelling, Tom Brady, I'm coming, I want Tom. <laughs> I kind of find that a little bit funny, though. I think it's hilarious. But Arians has now chipped in and he said, be careful what you wish for. I think it's all quite lighthearted banter. It's lighthearted. There's a lot of worse things that players have said and done over for the last sure. season. But it's good, you know, seeing those young kids fired up. For someone like Young, it will have been a dream to play against Brady. And yeah. he's living it. The folly of youth, though, to think that you're going to have a good game against <laughs> Brady know. in playoffs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the folly of youth. Uh, look, Washington are extremely lucky to be where they are, being a 7-9 team. Had they not been in the just basement division of the NFC East, they wouldn't be here right now. 
Bucks, as we said all through the year, they feast on bad teams. I'm not sure, like, you know, how good they are when they come up against teams who are above 0.5, but if you're below 0.5, as Washington football team are, they are more than capable of destroying you. And that's how I've got this one going, Charles. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's Bucks all the way. I can't see beyond that. The one thing that I did find quite funny while I was looking at this list ahead of the show was there were two teams that we picked out in this conference as being the weakest teams. And we're finding that both the Washington football team and the Bears are in the playoffs, despite the pair of us picking them as our worst teams. <laughs> well, I still think they're bad teams. I mean, I, they are. They are. Uh, but yeah. that speaks to the strength of the conferences and the divisions. So, Yeah, well, look, one thing just to think about, similar to the Colts missing Beasley, probably a player who's probably more important to the Bucks than Beasley is to the Bills is Evans. Evans is their ex-receiver. They've been getting him involved more and more as the season has gone on. I think the fortunate thing is there's no structural damage to his knee. Aaron's is saying that he's day-to-day. He's going to be out Sunday. I can't see them playing oh, him Sunday. Why risk it? Well, in theory, because it's wildcard weekend and it's the first game of playoffs, so you should be putting everything for it. But I think that if you're playing any team, it's, you know, Washington, and you can probably get away with maybe having your ex-receiver, your split end, sitting out of this one. They're fortunate in the players they've got there that there are a few guys who can go and take Evans' spot. You can have, you know, Antonio Brown playing split end. You can have Godwin out there. Probably be Tyler Johnson who gets a lot more snaps with Brown and Godwin still remaining the flanker and a slot receiver. Yeah, so I think we've both got this the same way. In terms of score, I've got it down. Bucks to win by, I'm going to say, 21. Oh, yes, I be. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> say it, say it. <laughs> no. No. Damn it. Because <laughs> you need to say different from me to catch up. My dream is you just match me score for score, then there's no way that I can lose. Yeah, so I'm going to say by 24. Okay, yeah. Right, Rams at Seahawks, and rumour is Goff's not going to be ready for that matchup. Goff is very unlikely to be ready for this matchup. It was what uh, it was surgery on a dislocated thumb. It would be 15 days from surgery to game look I think we just got to assume it's not going to happen this is another player at this point the injury report people are trying to be as optimistic as possible uh, he's probably not going to come back so it means that they will be running with was it Walford again when I was thinking about this game even with him being out and even if he was playing because the way Goff has been playing the second half of the season I'm not sure it'd be a huge improvement on his backup had he been starting but even if he was there I still I still don't feel bullish on, on who's going to win this game. This is the, by the way, this is the NFC game, which is good in terms of it's a little bit closer. There's some decent teams playing here. The Seahawks have played the Rams twice this year. Each team has won one game. The most recent one, the Seahawks won. But the Rams did get on top of them in the first game and they sacked Wilson, I think, six times. So there's a blueprint for beating them, but we've seen it both ways. Look, bookies have it by minus 4.5. Seahawks by minus 4.5. That's the spread. What's your view, Charles? I'm interested to see what what you think here. So there were two teams coming into this that, as a Packers fan, I 100% did not want to meet up, especially with Batiari out, was Bucks and Rams, because they have such impressive pass rush. Pass rushes, yeah. Yeah. And Wilson is the Seahawks, really, isn't he? When Wilson hasn't gone off, the Seahawks have lost. It's as simple as that. It's all Wilson. 
Yeah. It's all on Wilson, yeah. And if there is one team that can limit Wilson, the Rams are up there. So Well they did it. Like I said, like they so the first game that they played, Wilson's stat line was probably his worst of a season. He managed two hundred and forty eight yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and he was sacked six times. Yeah. So that is the thing that people need to bear in mind before they start putting out silly scores for the Seahawks. Yeah. That being said, I do think a Rams team without Goff is not going to be as potent and that I don't think they're going to be able to capitalize as much on the Seahawks defensive weaknesses. So, I mean, I do have the Seahawks winning this by 14. Okay. I'm going to I'm not going to call it a hot take because I don't think that you can really have hot takes in the playoffs because these are all good teams. Yeah. Aside from Washington and the Bears, but they're good teams here. So I don't feel that I'm being hot taking and saying this. I just think, based on what we saw that first game, I think the Rams know how to beat the Seahawks. I think that the Rams, without Goff, are still a capable team. Because this team, unlike the Seahawks, the Rams aren't all about their quarterback. And I know it's going against the bookies, it's going against most pundits. I'm going Rams by three. Yeah, I kind of feel like what you were saying before about, you know, spitting out your tea. It wouldn't be the biggest shock in the universe. I, I think the wouldn't Seahawks the have it. Yeah. But like you said, we're in the playoffs now. Any team can win it. So, yeah. 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 And and, and look, right, fine. It's at the Seahawks Stadium. It's at CenturyLink Field. But I mean, there's no fans there or there's limited fans if there are fans there. So there's there's no 12th man, which has helped the Seahawks in playoffs previously. You're not going to have that. Aaron Donald is still going to be there. Aaron Donald is still going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. The Seahawks D, which... You know, they've got a little bit better in the second half of the season, but they're still a very bad pass D. So if you're a second string quarterback playing against any playoff team in any of these games, you'd probably want it to be the Seahawks. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But look, my head is probably still saying Seahawks probably, but but I don't know. I, I just have a bit of a feeling. I just have a bit of a feeling about the Rams. Call it what you will. Yeah, Rams by three, mate. Cool. And then on to our final game, we've got the Bears at the Saints. And I mean, look, we've ragged on the Bears pretty much all season. The Saints have been a very good team. And we've even touted at the beginning of the season, the Saints were a team that we could see going all the way to Super Bowl. But the Saints, they do get the jitters when it comes to Super Bowl. They've been put out early before by, well, mostly by the Vikings. Mostly by the Vikings, (laughs) yeah. So what? So in the last three seasons, what the Vikings have put them out twice, yeah, and then they had that horror show call against the Rams. Yeah. So, I mean, look, they'll probably be grateful it's the Bears and not the Vikings. But personally, I can't see past the Saints for this one just because of how bad that Bears offense is. And I think as good as the defense is, it's going to be difficult to stop players like Kamara. I'd say slow down Cowboy a little bit there because I mean the last four games the Bears. That is true. They put up numbers, haven't they? Yeah. It looks like Trubisky's finally had enough of people saying, people passed over Mahomes and Watson and picked you instead. Like, I think he's finally had enough and he's got a bit angry and he's throwing some balls now. But look, as good as this Bears offense has been in the last four weeks, they're coming up against Trey Hendrickson. Now, Trey Hendrickson is not a player who's having his name said as much as he should. He's had the second most sacks in the league. He's one and a half behind TJ Watt. He's got the same number of sacks as Aaron Donald. Trey Hendrickson. No one's really talking about him. I think he's going to be disruptive and I think he's going to upset Trubisky. He's going to get this O off their stride. Because look, right, yeah, the Bears O has been good for the last four games, 
but just take a look at who they've played. They've not exactly played marquee defences. Yeah. I think coming up against a strong pass rush, they're going to have trouble. And look, the Bears are in playoffs with an 8-8 record. They have only beaten one team above 0.500. The best team they've beat all year was the Bucks. when the Bucks stopped playing in the second half back in, like, what, week five or six or something like that. And the Bucks finished up a 0.688 team. They're playing the 0.75 Saints right now. Uh, look, I can't see any way past the Saints. Aside from the Washington football team, this is maybe the one game where if the Bears won, I'd probably spit out my tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything seems to be aligning right now for the Saints. Drew Brees is coming back, and he should be coming to a point now where he's over the residual effects of his rib injury. You've got a very rested Michael Thomas coming back in. You've got Kamara nicely warmed up and firing on all cylinders. This Saints team are going to the NFC Championship game, in my view. I don't think there's going to be any unfortunate incidents with Vikings or Rams or anything like this this year. This is the Saints year. I agree. I think they're going to that championship game. I mean, there's there's always the fear that they do a Super Bowl hiccup, but I think they've got that behind them now. I think they're a well-rounded team defensively, offensively. So, yeah, I've got the Saints to win this by 17. Well, the Saints have been a well-rounded team, I think, for three or four years now. And it was extremely unfortunate, the things that happened to them. They outplayed the Vikings when the Vikings had the uh, Minneapolis miracle. As a Vikings fan, I'll say that. The Saints looked a better team. They were robbed against the Rams. And I mean, what, the Vikings beat them again last year and things happened. Stuff happens. I'm not going to say Saints by 17. I think the Bears D will keep this a little bit closer than that. I'm going to go Saints by 10, which is, by the way, the spread that the bookies have. Oh, interesting. And shall we announce our Super Bowl challenge, Joe? Please do, Charles. So uh, we want you, the listeners, we've given our burritos this week. We want to see yours. And if you think you can do better, which I'm sure most of you do listen to us chat every week, now's the time to prove it. Here's us two, and two teams that we said were going to be garbage are in the playoffs. So what do we know? Take us on. What do we know? We've created a little league on the Super Bowl challenge, which is the Skyrun bracket. Pick'em, and basically you pick your teams that you expect to win in each of the brackets. What we're going to do is we're going to post the details for that league onto our social accounts. So you can head to our Facebook page, which is Playsheet Sports. We'll also post it on our Twitter account as well, which is at Playsheet Sports. So make sure you go onto those, follow us, get the description to join the league. And what we're giving away at the end of this is going to be a lovely Playsheet podcast mug with our mugs on it. And we're also going to invite the winner onto the show ahead of next season so that they can give us their predictions for how they think the 2021 season is going to go down, seeing as they're so good at predicting. So in future, when uh, you get your predos wrong eventually, you can spit out tea from one of our mugs. (laughs) That's the plan. Well, it's been quite a punchy episode this week, Joe. We haven't lingered too long on things, but I think that's just because we're so excited to see some playoff we're football. We're so excited for playoff football. Look, playoff football, we've got three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. I know I shouldn't say this, but if there's things to be thankful for in lockdown, it's that no one can make plans for me, aside from me sitting in front of a TV, <laughs> watching seven hours of football both days. Seven hours. <laughs> seven hours. Well... Thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you next week and we'll give a little update on how the league is faring and where everyone's standing. See you next week, Charles.